Uh, if you were here in the Bible class, thank you very much for your attention. And you've already heard me say thank you many times. But there is a chance that maybe you were teaching or sleeping or late or something. So uh, let me take the opportunity again uh, on behalf of my family. We are the Bowens. We are your missionaries in Laos and Southeast Asia. And we're thankful for you. This church has been so good to us as an eldership, as a congregation, as a mission committee, and on an individual level for three years. Uh, you're our family. We love you. And we appreciate you. Just want to make sure you hear that if you haven't heard it yet. Now it's time for sermoning. Before I launch in, I want to ask you to reach for your writing devices, whether that be a pen or a pencil. You're going to be asked to use them later. That's just a tease. I'm not telling you how you'll be asked to use them. On the back of your program, there's a nice blank space. And I'm going to tell you uh, what you need to write there in a little bit. I am very happy to be standing here and speaking to you today, but to be honest, it has been a tough week. In spite of all of the cheerfulness of Christmas time, I'd be willing to bet that it's been a tough week for some of you too. The holidays are nice, and everything is sparkly and shiny beautiful and there's more sugar in all the food everybody's smiling everything and everyone just feels more smiley and that is a good thing I love this time of year and I love the traditions but the thing about traditions is they make you think about how things used to be they make you think about the past and sometimes when you think about the past you think about some of the things that you've lost Things that you had that you don't have anymore. Things that you always wanted that never came to be. Things that hurt. And sometimes the holidays, as cheerful as they are, can kind of be like salt in the wound. Some of you, most of you, I'm sure, have internet access. And therefore, you saw me on TV celebrating life for the whole world to see and that was very fun to do it was a very fun experience uh, but it made me think and I was saying to Mr. John a couple days ago it made me think what my mom would have thought if she had been here to see it my goodness she would have loved it she would have shared it with everyone that she knew but most of you know we lost my mom a couple years ago cancer that came fast and moved fast. Sometimes holidays are tough. A friend of mine on Facebook can't hardly get on there without seeing some heartbreaking post about the son that he lost about a year ago, this time of year. Only three years old. A friend of ours in Laos is a single woman. She's given her life to mission work. We're very happy to know her. Like many Christian women, she's always had the dream of, of marriage and having uh, children of her own. She's a wonderful aunt and a great aunt to our kids, but her dream has always been to have her own children, and this year she turns 40. She's starting to see that that dream uh, is getting further and further away. So the holidays are hard. Sometimes they can be hard. 
I know you have a lot of personal stories and tragedies, difficult things that come to mind around this time of year. Went to a church where uh, the preacher would openly speak against the song Blue Skies and Rainbows because it's just too jolly. He'd say, anybody who's lived a minute in this world knows that the Christian life is not always that way. The Christian experience is not always sunshine. And even though some people will try to summarize the book of Revelation, and it really works by saying, well, basically, Revelation's confusing, but it says, in the end, God wins. Well, that's a great summary. But even though we might believe that with all of our heart, it doesn't change the fact that sometimes it just feels like we're losing. Like we're losing bad. Badly. But, now that I've brought you down to the valley... It's time to bring it back up. Even though God allows us to endure, to experience the brokenness of this world, this life, at the same time He's holding out a hand full of promises of hope. Now I've got to tell you a little story from Jeremiah before you get to use the pen and pencil writing device. I love stories from Jeremiah. When I used to be a youth minister, I got a lot of mileage out of this story uh, where God told Jeremiah to wear the same loincloth every day for months without washing. If you're a youth minister, you've got a Bible story about dirty underwear. You can, you can go forever. You can work anywhere and make a good living. But this story that I want to talk about is uh, one that struck me later in life when I was in a little bit of a different mental state. You guys know about Jeremiah, uh, the weeping prophet, because his whole life, he tried and tried and tried to get Israel to repent, and they never did until horrible calamity fell upon them. This was about 600 years before Jesus was born, and uh, Jeremiah is living and working in the city of Jerusalem, God's holy city, the center of the nation of Israel, where the temple was. The people of Israel were not behaving well. They were ignoring the teachings of God, and they were worshiping idols, doing all kinds of bad and creative new sins that they'd never thought of before. Jeremiah was commissioned from a very young age to talk to them and to warn them and say, if you don't change, something very, very bad is going to happen. Destruction. And very specifically, he told them it's going to come from Babylon, this, this rising nation. The King, of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and wipe you out and take you away from the promised land. But of course, you know, we never listen when prophets come in our midst. We resist them until it's too late. And that's what Israel did. They didn't listen to what Jeremiah said. They ignored him. And they persecuted him. And eventually everything that God said would happen indeed came true. Nebuchadnezzar brought his army marching 400 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. Even though Jerusalem had tall walls, it didn't matter. Because he wrapped his army around those walls and cut off all the supplies. He laid siege to Jerusalem. While Jeremiah was there in the middle sitting in the king's uh, court, the palace court. The army wrapped around uh, the, the city. They cut off all of their supplies. And they began working on the walls, beating on them, knocking them down. They broke through and they set fire to the whole city. All the buildings were destroyed. No stone sitting on top of another. All the buildings turned to ash. All the property that any Jew in Jerusalem owned was just gone. And those who weren't killed in the process were chained up, made to march 
400 miles to Babylon to go be a slave. But right before this happened, when Nebuchadnezzar was already visible from the walls, when Israel was seeing the army start to wrap around and know that the impending doom was coming, it's imminent, God asked Jeremiah to do a strange thing. A thing that doesn't make sense, but a lot of the things that he was asked to do didn't make sense. He said, Jeremiah, I would like for you to buy a piece of land from your cousin. Okay? So there in the, in the court where he was being kept, Jeremiah summoned his cousin and said, I would like to buy a piece of land from you, cuz. And he did. In front of all those people, he signed the papers, had the deed transferred to his name, shelled out the appropriate weight of silver, and the property was his. And then he turned to all these witnesses. And they're, they're looking at Jeremiah, but they also have one eye on the walls that are starting to crumble. As Nebuchadnezzar beats him down. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents from the property, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase. And Jeremiah, I want you to put them in a clay jar so that they will last for a very long time. Because this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Promises. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Even though the greatest calamity imaginable was falling down upon Israel. Even as all the people there were preparing to lose their homes, their livelihoods, their lives. God holds out a hand of promise. Of hope. That one day, eventually, everything will be made right again. That sentiment is going to miss some of you. Go right over your shoulder. But for some of you, it will hit you right square in the chest. Our reality tells us that the health and wealth gospel is selling lies and the message, we're wary of any message or messenger that says uh, that Christian life is all going to be blissful and wonderful and prosperous. But it is true and biblical that for those who are found in Christ, everything that we've lost is going to be found. That like Job, the best is yet to come. Christians can rejoice because we sow in sorrow, but we reap in joy. And truly, the sufferings of today can't even be compared to the, the wonderful glory of the future. Whatever your ailment is this morning, there is a balm for it. And even though God allows us to experience the brokenness of this world, of this life, He's holding out a hand of promise containing hope. Now you can use your pencils. And pens, we don't discriminate with writing utensils. Take out that bulletin or the program. You'll see there's a blank space. A lot of you have been waiting for this opportunity, the chance to doodle in church. I know that there are some secret doodlers out there. You know who you are, closet doodlers. You've been wanting to doodle on the program for a long time. Today is your doodle day. I'd like you to write maybe some, draw some sort of like decorative 
picture frame around that blank space, if you're comfortable with that, and leave the middle open for you to write some things. For the next few minutes, I'm going to be sharing some promises of God from Scripture. I'm going to have a, a pretty lengthy list, so if you're the type that doesn't want to get creative and you just want to write a list, leave yourself some room. But if you want, you can sit back and wait on God to deliver a promise to you. And when a promise is read that really touches where you are right now in life, that you really feel like God is speaking from His Word to you today, maybe that's the one that you want to write real big in the middle of your picture frame. Or go to the next slide. You can just write the words, I promise. And... Uh, let that be God's message to you today. Whatever you want to do, maybe you just are too cool to do art in church. And if that's the case, you can just sit there and be cross, fold your arms or something. So we know you're not writing. Okay. Before we start, I do want to say one thing. Uh, a pre-promised promise. And that is, uh, God has said in Isaiah that just like the rain and snow fall down from heaven... And they don't return to heaven until first they've watered the land, causing it to turn green and bear forth fruit and grow. He says the same thing is true about the word that comes out of his mouth. It's not going to return to him empty. It's not going to return to him until it's accomplished the thing for which he sent it. So what I'm saying is these promises from God have power. And if you'll open up and let it, these promises can be a balm to you this morning. They're not just going to be shot out of my mouth and go up to heaven. No, they're going to come out of my mouth and they're going to land on your hearts and do some work in you if you'll allow it. Okay, PowerPoint guy, we're going to have to work together here. Let's go to the next, the next slide. Here's our first promise. For the Christian who's facing challenges, who's questioning whether you can take another step, God promises unlimited strength. This passage, Philippians 4.13, says, Christ is the one who gives me strength to do what I must do. That may not be the translation that you're used to. Most of the time it says, you know, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength, and that's fine, but a little misleading. This promise is not that you can do anything you want and God will give you the strength to do it. I wish. No, this promise is actually better. This promise means whatever you're going through, whatever life is thrown at you, whatever challenge you're forced to endure at this time, Christ has promised to give you the strength you need to do what you have to do. The next one is for the Christian who is tired, for the Christian who feels overwhelmed, by heavy weight, your feet are dragging, your hands are hanging down low. For you, Jesus promises rest. He promises that you can have rest if you bring your burden to him. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's promise. Next, 
for the Christian who has lost touch with God, for the Christian who has replaced God with activity or entertainment instead of acknowledging the distance that's growing, for the Christian who can't slow down enough to acknowledge that things are amiss in their heart and in their relationship with God, for the Christian who has simply walked away for a while. Christ is always eager to forgive you and to renew your relationship with Him. That's a promise. Maybe that someone needs to hear today. I have some scriptures written up there. I won't talk about them all. Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea learned in Revelation 3 that God didn't ask them to come groveling back to Him. Instead, it says that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking hoping that we'll repent and give Him a chance to forgive us. In Micah chapter 7, Micah's prophesying to the people of Israel who have really, strained, strung, uh, st- st- really walked far away from God. In Micah 7, they learn that God doesn't uh, hold on to anger toward them, but He delights to forgive them. It says in Micah Chapter 7 of God. You do not stay angry forever, Lord, but you delight to show mercy. Do you hear that? You delight to show mercy. God enjoys to forgive us. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Christ is always eager to forgive you and renew your relationship with Him. Next promise. Matthew's gospel was the most popular and widely circulated gospel of the first few centuries of the church's existence. And every Christian would have known by heart the comforting promise that Jesus made, the very last thing that he said before he ascended to heaven after his death and resurrection. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That promise is there for the Christian who feels alone today. Christ will be with you always, and you will never be alone. Next, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. This is from Psalm 37.4. And sometimes our American brains get a hold of this promise and twist it into something that it's not. Our American 2016 brains can see this as a formula If I delight myself in the Lord, then He will give me the thing that I am wanting or needing. But no, the promise of this scripture is actually something so much better, so much more beautiful. When we delight ourselves in the Lord and He becomes our desire, God promises to give Himself to us in unlimited quantities. This is a powerful promise from God. And finally, for the, oh, I've got two more. For the Christian who doesn't understand how the broken road they are on could ever lead to anything good, God promises all things work together for good for Christians. And finally, for the Christian who who only thinks about things that they've lost. You can't help but seem to think about the way things used to be when things were good. But the Christian who 
can't help but look at the things they have now as though they're slipping through their fingers, about to go away. God promises, for the Christian, your best days are ahead of you. Romans 8.18 promises that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. These are promises from God that are meant for you. They're not meant for someone else who's better. They're not meant for someone else who's holier. They're not meant for anyone but you. If you're a person who's put your faith in Christ. If you notice, these promises were all directed toward believers, toward Christians. But if you are not a Christian, there are some promises out there designed for you too. God has promised that through Christ, salvation is available to all. That if we repent and are baptized, we'll receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit and look forward to eternal life. We have people ready to sing songs and ready to help you respond if you'd like to claim that promise while we stand and sing.